0: Hey, welcome back to the Driven Entrepreneur. It's Matt Browning. And this week, this week, I've been thinking, in fact, if you follow me on social media, you probably do at Matt Browning, you know that i have been thinking a lot about finance, a lot about money. Um, This year in 2021, as we kind of come to the the final, final few breaths here of the year, um, it's been a massively financially transforming year for me and my family. And I've been following a lot of Financial principles that early in my entrepreneur career, I did not do. And that's why I've been having some people from uh, all different backgrounds, relationship to finance, money, money mindset. And this week's no different. Um, I have Chad Willardson. Now, Chad um, is an entrepreneur. He's a president of Pacific Capital, he's a fiduciary and wealth advisory firm uh, founded over 10 years ago. He's written two best selling books, uh, and, uh, his latest book, Stress Free Money. Uh, was in Forbes 21 Books to Read in 2021, and he's brought this message all over NBC News and Yahoo Finance and and all over the place. Um, he also is into his second term as the elected city treasurer uh, in his local community in Southern California. So I cannot wait to jump into that conversation. How are you going to take care of these the communities that? Well, quite frankly, I think sometimes the government doesn't control the finances the way we would as entrepreneurs. And I love having a guy like Chad uh, at the helm. So Chad, welcome to the show. How are you, man? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. This is, a, this is a big day for me. So financial, uh, life you, when we, when we first started going here, you talked about, I said, what exactly are you doing differently in your firm than a lot of other places? And you said how much you focus on financial mindset. And, you know, I, I find like I put off retirement planning for a long time. I always thought I would just make more money and I never had to worry about my future. Tell me a little bit about how you get into the mindset of Uh, of people when it comes to their money? And what are
1: some of the major blocks that you see showing up? So that's a great question, Matt. And I would say, first of all, I think the word retirement is basically a dead word. It's a dead concept. And I think it's interesting that the more we work with entrepreneurs and families, the more I feel like they're really looking to plan for financial freedom. They're thinking about when could I stop doing what I don't like or when could I stop working if I, do, if I want to? I want to have that option. And so really, it's a mindset that's not like an age-based retirement like our parents and grandparents, but it's more like a cash flow-based financial freedom lifestyle where my investments and in businesses and things like that are providing me enough income to be comfortable and i basically have the freedom to do whatever i want whenever i want with whomever i want and that's that's a really liberating mindset and a place to reach i think that's something that we all strive for but i'm seeing entrepreneurs achieve that at much younger ages than than i think ever in history because they're not looking at this age 65 i'm going to retire like grandpa or grandma and i'm going to sit on the Porch in a rocking chair and have my coffee and read the newspaper. Like, it's not like that. It's, I'm going to be involved in projects and businesses that I start or mentoring and foundations. I'm going to travel more. So,
0: when 65 is so young now, too, I feel like, you know, is it because as a culture, we've been getting older and older? We want to have a second win, third win. I think it's
1: just a different, we're, we're not as much in the big corporate work and get a pension situation as we used to be, you know, people are self-reliant financially and the companies and governments are less able to really just take care of someone because they're living to 80, 90, or hundred. So I think the, you know, there's 30, I believe there's 32 million small businesses in the U S and over 60% of them were started from scratch since 2020. And so people have been, kind of forced to think differently about their financial life and their future. And I, and frankly, it might be a positive thing. D- did I hear you right? I, I have not read that statistic. 60%. 60% talking of, like almost 20 million small businesses in the U S are all less than two years old. Correct. Now, most of the small businesses are, do not have employees. So it's one man, one woman bands, but it's incredible. You know, this was, I posted this about this on LinkedIn the other day. Cause it was like, small business day or entrepreneur day or something like that. And so I just shared some of the recent stats and I, they're pretty interesting. You know, most people are not working for big corporations anymore as a percentage of uh, workers in the U S. And
0: in a lot of ways, you don't have to anymore. You know, I, I think that's what I've seen in this, you know, they talk called the great resignation. that has been happening over the last 18 months, 20 months right. Right. where, you know, it's like, wait, I've been home. With my kids, I've been missing something. I, you know, I, And it's not about, I want to be home with my PJs, but I see what I've been missing. Um, I've had the time to stretch and to breathe and to say, what do I really want to do here? What is this money that I'm, and, and if we, and if some of the people got laid off, right, people had to stretch money and learn that they didn't
1: need maybe as much as they thought they needed to. Would you say that's accurate? I would say, yeah, the assumptions that we previously had have been reassessed. And we've had to basically challenge those assumptions and say, you know what, what is required? What is necessary? What do I really want? People, I think more people have moved to different places than ever before just because of circumstances in their where they live or just the opportunities or remote work. It's just, it's a time to say, what do I actually want? And it's a great time to, to look at your life, your time, your attention, your money, and think about where you're investing everything. Where you're invested in everything.
0: When it comes to, we, we started talking in the beginning it's about money mindset itself. Right. What is it do you think about, about the idea of planning that for some people it feels like a four-letter word uh, or it's scary or it's frustrating or it's hopeless? Like, What is it about it that doesn't get someone, say, through your doors until a certain point? And, yeah, and I what think happens to
1: get them through the doors metaphorically? The initial obstacles are fear or intimidation Or or kind of doubt. I think people feel like they perhaps they're behind where they wished they would be by now in their life. And so they don't want to face that reality. They'd rather just stick their head down and stay in their routine because it's comfortable. And it's also intimidating. There's so many decisions to be made. There's a complex world of news and financial changes out there that it's hard to know where to get reliable information. You get you're constantly being peppered and bombarded by the news and by other people telling you their financial experiences and it's like where do i turn for advice so i think people come through our door when they're ready to actually make progress and they say enough is enough you know i, I i'm not going to settle for average advice anymore i'm not going to settle for the life i've been living i want to do something more i want to do something better often they come to us because they've got a high income or they've received some money and they're like what do i do now I, this is too big for me to do it on my own or they've maybe they've outgrown the advice circle around them. And it's like, I need to level up and get people who know what they're talking about at these levels. So that's, that's often what we hear when new people come through. Yeah, you know, I, I think, and again,
0: the, the first thing you said, I just, I was dwelling on for a second there is just getting over the fear of, you know, I've let it go so long or you know, maybe I'm in debt, or I have a 14-year-old with no college fund, or whatever it is. Right? I'm in this situation that I thought I wouldn't be in, and it's scary to unpack and figure it out. Um, but there is something to that—that that, that courage of, you know, what I'm gonna. Like, I grew up as a kid. I didn't want to go look at the boogeyman. I didn't want to go to bed at night by myself in the dark. But at some point, I had to face the boogeyman. Right? I had to look in my closet and go, "You know what? If there's a monster there, I'm gonna look at him. And if there's not, he's gonna be gone." And I think in our finances, we got to look at that monster in the eye, and it might not be as scary as it is. How often do you think, Chad, like somebody comes in, it's like, I remember at 18, here's a second metaphor, sorry, but I went to the dentist for actually the first time. I had never been to the dentist as a kid. And my parents were good parents. I don't know why. We just never went to the dentist. And at 18, I showed up. And when they came back to the room with the x-rays and they told me the damage, I'm like gritting my teeth. I'm closing my eyes going, okay, I just need a whole new mouth, right, doc? And I had one cavity. And I realized that it wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. And it wasn't as bad as I thought I had let it get. Now, apparently I brushed my teeth and it was okay. How often do you think people come into your office or they sit down for that first time, they face that boogeyman of their finances, and the road to redemption actually isn't nearly as steep as you thought it was
1: going to be? I'd say very, very likely that that's the scenario, is when you find out that there are options and there are planning opportunities Um, It's, it's typically never too late to make progress. And so progress starts by telling the truth, you have to actually assess where you are. And I think that's best done by a professional fiduciary who's going to be objective and tell you the truth, like, you don't want to go to someone that's going to just tell you what you want to hear. And so you want to go to that doctor that says, you know what, you got to you got to cut the double cheeseburgers out of your diet and start exercising a little bit because you're not headed on the track where you want to be. So what you're telling me, but what your actions are, don't really align. And I think that's one of the great benefits of actually taking those first steps is getting your goals and your actions and your money and your time all aligned and all going in the same direction. And I want my
0: financial doctor to actually care, right? To look at me and say, man, those cheeseburgers are killing you. You got to knock it off. You mentioned the word fiduciary. Can you just explain that to the audience? I want to make sure that everybody understands because there's differences between like agents, brokers, uh, and oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes brokers are going to be out kind of for themselves by the nature of the system, if that makes sense. Can you kind of explain the difference between just standard brokers and you being a fiduciary and what to look for when you're looking for help?
1: And and I'll say this: there are six hundred thousand financial professionals, financial advisors, quote unquote, in the U.S. And everyone sounds the same. Everyone seems the same. Everyone makes the same claims and promises. So I don't have blame. that nice sweater over a tie. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't blame the. Um, actually, I wear no ties and tell no lies. So I don't blame. But I don't blame the the, the public for just being kind of confused or maybe mistrusting of our industry because. There is just, it's a lot of conflict of interest in our industry. There's a lot of sales stuff and it's expensive. Oftentimes people are getting charged way more than they need to pay. And so a fiduciary has a legal duty and obligation to put the client's interest first. A fiduciary doesn't have conflicts of interest where they're getting paid by selling investments to a client. Um, Less than, unfortunately less than 4% of financial advisors in the country Our licensed fiduciaries. When I spent my nine years at Merrill Lynch on Wall Street Bank, uh, I was not a fiduciary. I was in a commission-based role, and though I had good intentions and I always wanted to help the people I served, the system was set up for us to be incentivized to always make money um, for the company, for the shareholders. And so, when I left and became a fiduciary, it was like a burden lifted off my back, where I could be extremely transparent and open and I could have more of a variety of options to give advice Uh, what to look for for your audience when you're looking for a financial advisor. I I absolutely recommend you find a licensed fiduciary. Uh, If you're an entrepreneur, work with someone and a fiduciary who's also an entrepreneur who started and grown businesses, who has a payroll, who's done these things, who's a, if you're a real estate investor, someone who's also a real estate investor, right? You're not gonna go as to get parenting advice from someone who's never had kids. You're not gonna go to a trainer who is out of shape and doesn't exercise. So go to someone and get advice from someone who actually is doing the things that you want to do or that you're already doing, who can give you advice from experience and not from a book or a manual. That's solid. Hopefully, exactly. that makes sense.
0: Oh my gosh! And and on that that fiduciary trust side, you're legally bound to the clients and morally bound, and it's a good thing because we like that's what you want and that's what we want. Um, you know, in, in a past life, I sold uh, life insurance as part, and I've sold mortgages. I've done a lot of different kinds of work in the entrepreneur world, and not knowing the difference, I just thought, hey, this is a great product. So I'm going to sell this product, and but but the end result is regardless of what my client really needs, my interest still lies in if they don't buy this thing, I don't get paid. You got to be right. a really, really good person to say, I'm going <laughs> to walk away from this paycheck. You right. shouldn't do it. Um, so I love the, again, your, the approach for So So guys, look for that 4% that's fiduciary. You can find them. Uh, h- how do you know the difference? Like if I look someone up, you said everyone looks really similar to the same. Yeah. Like some of the. I don't know, a red flag to look for or like a little wording or anything that can give us a clue to, hey, this is, I'm on the right track here. If we're outside of your area, obviously. For sure.
1: Yeah, the designation certified financial fiduciary, that's a CFF. That's rare, but that's something to look for. That's, that's absolutely a, a stamp right there. You can't do that if you're not a fiduciary. Um, another way to f- identify it is, does the financial professional work for the company that holds the money or that does the life insurance policy. So if I'm, let's XYZ Bank, if if the financial advisor works at XYZ Bank and my statements would say XYZ Bank, that person works for the company, not for me, the client. So you want someone who has separation, independence, they're, they're out on their own, and they can give advice on financial decisions without having the strings attached from their employer and that's extremely different so where they work if they're affiliated with a broker or broker dealer that's a red flag they're they're not a fiduciary if they so if they have a broker dealer license like i dropped all my broker dealer license my new york stock exchange licenses when i became a full independent fiduciary so i'm so glad to hear that because there are there
0: are people right that are independent and they still have the broker dealer which means They can, they can go to bat for you or they can go to bat for themselves. It depends on the character. And oftentimes, we don't get to know somebody's character for a little while, right? It
1: takes, it takes relationship building. Tony Robbins talks about that in his book, um, Unshakable. He talks yes. about kind of the fake fiduciaries out there who are kind of playing both, you know, both feet in the pool, out of the pool. And it's unfortunately, a lot of people are like people come into our office and we look at their financial situation. And they're paying maybe three to four times what they should be paying, but they have no idea, and it's unfortunate because that money adds up over a ten and twenty year period. Yeah, those
0: are some confusing, uh, confusing statements. Now, I wanna, um, I wanna pivot a bit too. Um, you, you mentioned entrepreneurs going to an entrepreneur planner, entrepreneur fiduciary. So one of the biggest obstacles I had for years and years to investing and planning and just what I would call that whole conversation, Chad, was um, well, my income is sporadic. I have high months and low months and I'm either waiting for it to stabilize or I'm waiting to quote unquote make it big or you know finally get to a certain level that now I feel like I have excess. The problem is I never budgeted personally or, or business. So I just out uh, earned my stupidity as Dave Ramsey says. And I did that for 20 years, right? I just kept making more and then spending more. If you have an entrepreneur like me 20 years ago sitting in front of you, Your kid opened a lemonade stand. He's an entrepreneur. She's an entrepreneur. Um, What do you tell them, small business in relationship to investing and planning? How do they go hand in hand? What should I be doing early on in my business?
1: So you shouldn't start a business without a plan. So most entrepreneurs have some kind of planning for their business success. And the same is true in the area that they often neglect, which is their personal financial life. So they might be so focused on their business goals and reading them and writing them and meeting about them and doing all these activities around reaching their business goals. And yet never once are they talking about their own financial life or their own personal financial goals. So it's, it's incredible to me that they don't take it seriously. So um, sometimes I, ask, I get asked, you know, when should I start? Maybe it's too soon. Maybe it's too early. Should I? Am I ready for some serious financial strategy stuff in my life? And and to that I say, well, it's like asking the question, when should I start getting healthy? Like when should I start exercising and eating healthier foods? Maybe I'm not ready. Maybe I should wait. It doesn't make sense, right? So like the sooner you start planting these seeds, the longer they will have to grow and nourish and flourish. If you want to plant a tree that has lots of shade and provides lots of fruit in the future, you've got to plant the seeds as soon as possible and be consistent planting the seeds. And so that's what I would tell young entrepreneurs is like, the sooner you get these things in order, you're gonna have so much additional time for everything to mature and compound and grow, those habits to continue to permeate your business and personal life that the success will be astounding compared to those who waited. So even if it's just the habits uh, following the
0: principles, like say living on less than you make, and putting some away for profiting first or putting some away for the future. If it's a dollar, if it's a hundred dollars, if it's $10,000, but getting that principle when you're early on or when your income is sporadic, it's like, look, even if I have a low month, I'm still going to run my business on less than I earned. And I'm going to set some away, right? For retained earnings or for my future. And I can do that with a low month. I can do it with a high month. Following the principles, everything. Now your new book is uh, um, Smart, not spoiled, and I believe you wrote this. Was it with your kids in mind, or was it just for every kid in mind? Tell me about smart, smart, not spoiled.
1: It's full of stories with me and my wife and our five kids. So my oldest is now seventeen, and my youngest is six, and we've got three in between. But I, I just heard that question constantly of successful entrepreneurs and families thinking about how do I not ruin my kids, you know, or what do I teach my kids about money? Yeah, and it's not being taught in the schools. And it's basically not being taught at home. So I said, I got to collect all the stories from my family, from my clients, from my friends, and try to put the best resources in a tight book that says, here are stories, activities, ideas, and conversation just laid out right there for families to go in and talk to their kids about money. Because these are things that you can start teaching them as young as five, six, and seven years old. Give me an example of something
0: you would teach a five-year-old when it comes to money versus a 15-year-old.
1: A five-year-old, you're going through the grocery store and you're talking about your decision-making process of what to buy for the week for the meals. You're talking about, I went to work and earned money and saved up money so that we can buy the food today so that we can prepare the meals at home for the week. And this is, uh, you know, I planned to make these purchases. So we're gonna buy exactly what we wanna have in our fridge so that we can eat the food that we wanna be healthy. And it's just, they see the correlation between work planning saving and spending if we so a lot of parents say well i don't i don't know what to teach them or i haven't really taught my kids about money but whether you like it or not you're teaching them about money they're observing you 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 hit that amazon button and the boxes are on the porch the kids are thinking okay there's a magic button on my phone that if i press it i get boxes at my doorstep or i swipe this plastic card i get stuff in my cart I put the card in the box, cash comes out, like you're teaching them about money. You fight about money with your spouse, you know, you're teaching them. So they're absorbing all that.
0: Yeah. So you mean you shouldn't, you don't just have to go to the grocery store and just fight your kid the whole time going, no, we can't have it. No, you're not going to eat it. No, we can't have it. I love the, it's like you're describing coming alongside and mentoring. You're saying, Hey, we're just going to grocery shop together and I'm going to let you in right on my mindset and on my decision-making rather than I think a lot of parents are old school. It's like, you feel like you need to keep your kid on the outside for whatever reason. It's like, Oh, you're too little to understand or whatever it is. So I love that. Just bringing them into the fold in your
1: decision-making as maturity allows. That's brilliant. What about a kid's car? Okay. I'm going to get to the kid's car, but I'm going to, I'm going to go back a step and say that in the book, I cite a study that says parents are more comfortable talking about drugs and sex to kids than about money. And it's a taboo topic, and it shouldn't be. And so the goal of the book is really to make money a comfortable conversation topic in the family. Because kids are being sent off at 18, and they're getting solicitations for credit cards and student loans and stuff that they shouldn't even be really getting involved in. But they have no financial education or foundation to go from. So they're easy sales targets. The second they turn 18, so we really have to more, think more intentionally about how we approach money with our families, because these kids are being thrown to the wolves, essentially. So I just had to say that part, because that's kind of the purpose of the book. I I, I, I can't tell you how much I
0: appreciate, it, Chad, because I am 100% in your corner on that. Um, they are getting thrown to the wolves. And not only are they getting no financial education from school, but to our whole point here, oftentimes, just as parents... If you're not in the financial world, or maybe you don't have a good relationship with money yet, and you're trying to figure it out, you're walking it out, what what do I have to teach my kids if I still need to get my own house in order, right? Right. It's like my mom, I remember watching as a kid, juggling credit cards back and forth, and I just thought, well, that's what you do, right? Like good good money management is good debt management, (laughs) nothing Uh could be further from the truth. But right. then when I grew up, I thought, oh, okay, well, how do I want to move my 0% credit cards around? And how do I want to be smart with money? And, you know, it took me a, a number of years to finally live and do my business debt free and go, well, that's actually not what I want to do. There's other education out there. So back to the car.
1: No, yeah. Back to the with car. 17 year old so, son, daughter, Yeah, daughter, daughter. So for us, it was, she had to save a lot of money. Um, I think that I think that any of the big purchases and small purchases from a young age to a teenager, kids can be involved, like you said, and they can take accountability. So one thing I'll point out is that we never paid our, any of our five kids an allowance. I don't really believe in allowances. I think it creates entitlement. Mm-hmm. Um, it creates people just saying, well, I I exist, therefore I should get paid. And that's a problem that we have in society today is people just say, well, I, I deserve all this stuff because I'm here. And we've, yeah, the we've created to pay me to even if yes, I don't take out the trash. That's right. So I'm, I'm not going to brush my teeth unless I get paid. I'm not going to, you know, so we created a menu of opportunity that has, a, it's basically a spreadsheet, a point system for our kids to do things above and beyond. So above the you know, above the little stuff of making your bed, brushing your teeth, helping with the dishes and things like that. It's, it's the above and beyond. It's maybe the clean the garage or wash mom's car or vacuum the house or wash the windows. It's things like that, that they can do every week up to whatever they want to earn. There's no limits on what they can earn, uh, but they can earn nothing. And so when, when my kids have a situation where they're going to a birthday party or They're going to a, like our kids, one of the kids got invited to a Christmas white elephant gift exchange party with the other kids at high school. That's great. He's going to buy his own present. So he's going to have to figure out how he's going to earn that money to buy the present. So one of them had a birthday party at an amusement park over Thanksgiving break. Very expensive to go to the amusement park, but they figured out a way to earn the money because they really wanted to join up with their friends. So they, they took initiative to go on that spreadsheet and earn the money to be able to then participate. And I think that's that not only gives them a little bit more appreciation and respect for money, but it also gives them a great level of confidence that they're being self-reliant. And so with a car or with any other purchase like that, I think it's very important that they're taking ownership, they're doing the research, they're earning some money and contributing. You said contributing. So you might like for a car
0: or college, whatever it is, you might contribute as well, but you're totally. not just going to say, Hey, here's a red bow on the in the driveway. Correct. You know, I didn't yeah. have it when I was a kid. Now I want to give it to you.
1: Correct. No, yeah, I, very, I think that's good. important. Um, just because you can't afford it doesn't mean you should. Smart, not spoiled is the book.
0: And that makes absolute perfect sense. Um, Chad, this is good stuff, man. I, I could keep talking about the kid. Part. I got one 10 year old boy. Um, what do you That's do? Fun. You don't need to call any of your five kids out in particular, but what do you do if, say, one of them, you give them the chart of opportunity and they don't take any opportunities?
1: And oh, you're an happened. entrepreneur and you're like, come yeah. on. Yeah. No, it's, well, it's how do you handle that? My 11 year old is kind of at a slump right now. It's been a few weeks and he's pretty, he's, he's putting up the bagel. He's getting zero the last few weeks while the other kids are collecting a lot of money right now. Um, Even my eight-year-old's doing. She's making money because she said they've got to buy their own Christmas presents for each other, and they have to give the siblings a gift. And so, my eleven-year-old's kind of slacking. Um, I think it's and Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. (laughs) Cookies. No, I know. I know. I mean, I I think the thing that we can do is just really encourage them and see to see the why behind it. You know, It's not all about just the money, but it's about what money can do for them, the experiences it might provide, the things that they really want. There's going to come a time where he wants to do something and he's going to have to take it out of his own checking account. Uh, That's another thing, open bank accounts for the kids at a young age. If you're an entrepreneur, hire your kids, put them on payroll, have them do actual work, let them read a paycheck, learn about tax withholdings and and things like that. Like there are so many ideas in the book that I think could really make a difference to kids uh, before they leave the nest. I think it's important.
0: That's so good, Chad. Thanks for the time, man. Uh, Final question before we head out. You are in your second term elected in city treasurer, um, city Corona. So you're out in Southern California. We were talking, that's right where I grew up as well. Um, What does the government need to do
1: to fix their books? You know, it's a cool story I'll share. 2016, when I came in as first time elected, um, I'm on the four-year presidential cycle. So I get to be on the cover of the ballot with all the controversial presidential stuff every time. But um, basically, I came in and saw that we were extremely over-leveraged. Our our debt obligations in the future are insurmountable. Um, Would swallow up our city, like literally would swallow up our city if we didn't do something different. Um, We did we did a lot of healthy things for the balance sheet i changed the way we we save and invest our cash flow we we had about 230 million that was in an earmarked investment portfolio that i was managing when i first started and it's geared towards our future debt obligations it's not like a slush fund but it pays for our debts and then maybe extra expenses i'm happy to say despite ups and downs in the economy that investment portfolio is now 380 million in after my first four-year term so no one ran against me last time <laughs> which made it well, a lot lucky easier for us yeah yeah lucky for so, corona yeah it's been awesome so we got the we got the credit rating of our city upgraded to a double a plus which is super rare and because of that we refinance our um I think it was two hundred and it was over two hundred fifty million dollars in debt. We refinanced it from seven and a half percent to two point one percent, and we cut the terms, the length of the of the note. So, I basically saved our city one hundred and sixty six million dollars when we closed that deal just a couple months ago. There was a big press release about it and stuff. So, I think. Um, I don't think anyone's gonna be run, running against me next time either. But yeah,
0: no one's yeah. running against you, man. I mean, no. if, you're, if you're getting the city into less debt, shorter yeah. debt, yeah. more uh more positive assets, that's a really good thing. I mean, positive when you're account, that sure. it sounds like it sounds like my household budget with a lot of extra zeros. Yes. And it's yep. bizarre how in government it's like there's a, it seems to be a different mindset than right. hey, live on less than you earn, <laughs> right? Save money for the future, get out of debt. Like I, how do we continue that process?
1: And what would you tell other cities or what would you tell the federal government? Uh, Tough, tough conversations, Um, tough conversations. That's, that's what it came down to. It came down to just telling the financial facts. It's, it's about trust. Like the, I think the trust level between government agencies is pretty low and people are out for their own agendas, often their own departments. And, and really there's not a lot of thought to where the money comes from or It To me, it's kind of mind boggling because as an entrepreneur and a financial guy, it's like I'm I'm obsessive about cash flow and investments and spending and saving and all that stuff. And yet, um, oftentimes, it's just the programs have their own departments, have their own agendas. And so it was really about coming in and saying, objectively, everyone, we're on alert. We're on alarm now because if we keep heading this direction, we're falling off a cliff. And so I'm coming in. I'm more of a financial expert than anyone here. I, I love and respect all of you for what you're good at. But it's time for me to kind of shake things up and re- reformat our future by making financial changes here. So I'm thankful for the opportunity that I've been able to do that.
0: Very, very good. Okay. So you heard it here first, or maybe second. Uh, don't run against Chad next term. That's going to be outstanding. Uh, the book again. The most recent book is Smart, Not Spoiled, a great financial guide for your kids full of stories uh, and metaphors and great examples of how to raise smart kids, not spoiled kids, how to do good with money. Chad Willard, thank you so much for coming on or Willardson. I'm sorry. Thank you for coming on. You're amazing. You're awesome. I appreciate you very much.